the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Justin. Hey, Lindsay. I'm pretty stoked about uh, this movie we're doing. It was one that I think we were going to do like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had read that it was on, it's always on the top 10 list of movies that you can't watch or talk about anymore. Because <laughs> it's offensive. Because they're so offensive. <laughs> and, and, and so we just like put it out of our minds and we're like, well, we're not going to do that movie. But then on a rewatch... I was like, man, this is a this is a really great movie. We got to talk about this movie. Yeah, that's a load. No, we're going to be discussing 1988's Heather's. It just had its uh, oh, 30th yeah. anniversary, like recently. I saw that they were doing some like screenings with some of the cast and stuff recently. In school screenings, they showing it in classes. Not no. in classes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Heather's. There are so many one-liners in this movie. Not even one-liners, just full-on conversations that you are impossible to to remake. And maybe teen comedies now try to, you know, have their own lingo. Um, yeah, I kind of forgotten how quotable this movie is. Don't be such a coos. It's that word just makes me <laughs> giggle. I don't know why. I can't help such it. Such a good one. So so much to talk about with this. I mean, we obviously will mention the things that do make it relatively offensive, I think, by today's yeah. standards, which we needed new standards in this freaking world. So I'm glad that new standards exist. And we occasionally, films that we do, have bumps in the road. You can't smooth them out during the movie, but yeah. we, we will address it. Yeah, And we'll do the same for this film. But I think this film has a lot more to offer you know, than a lot of movies from the 80s. And uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as say satire, but more like yeah. biting look at what goes on in high schools, you know, trying to fit in and trying to do something that you're forced to do for four years and fit in. There's definitely a lot of things in this movie that were really cutting edge and, and razor sharp. And they really exposed a lot of things that go on in high schools while also making an entertaining film. I just don't yeah. think very many movies did that, you know, this time for, for its time, it was very self-aware so, you know, you have popular, like the popular kids, uh, when they're confronted with something, being being able to explain, like, why I get away with things? Because I'm popular, and I'm popular for this reason and this reason, whatever. And, and, and this, to me, this movie was the, uh, like, antithesis of, like, the John Hughes high school movies. Yes. And I love those movies, yeah. and I'm glad that they exist. And I do think that they show an honest portrayal of high school, but... Those movies, I think, were a lot more softer. Yeah, and they were like high they, school. They were more charming. Where on this this pillows, movie on a bed this of movie pillows. really shows like the ugly side <laughs> of high school, and it is not afraid to dig in. I mean, which I which I feel is the reason why this movie. We'll get into it. Why, why it it's still yeah. why it's still cutting and why it still but, matters. Yeah, why today. it still matters. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the cast, who I think are excellent. Talk about the director, Michael Lehman writer Daniel Waters mm-hmm. um, we'll talk about a lot of the themes in this movie and uh, why it's so relevant was it 30 years since it came out 30 years later how it will probably hit on how it's influenced other teen comedies to come after it and um, yeah where it's super obvious that other movies have drawn off of Heather's and um, after our Heather's talk, we'll go to our picks of the week. I connected mine to Heather's via director Michael Lehman. Uh, his second or his next film that he did after Heather's was uh, Meet the Applegates, which came out in 1991. Also took place in Ohio and also was sort of this commentary on this sort of upper middle class yeah. suburban, you know, teens and parents and interactions. Yeah. Cool. I've never seen that movie, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about it. I did do a little bit of research on it, um, but I'm looking forward to you talking about it. I kind of went the connecting it to Heather's route of also like high school kid in a upper class 
white family that is pretty elitist and part of a specific social standing. Um, and this is 1989's Society. This is a very... It's a weird one. It's a weird... I, it's a movie I'm I'm excited to watch again after you talk about I it. I should have brought it over I've tonight. Only, uh, I've only seen it once, and that's when you showed it. And I had never heard of the movie, and it's it, it packs a wallop. It sure does. It was a... It was a big deal overseas, and people loved it overseas. And then it came out here, and people couldn't have cared less. I can I can see <laughs> I can see how that anything that has like copious amounts of nudity always does well overseas. And yeah. Then, and and in American society, even though porn is a billion dollar industry, you put yeah. nudity in like just like a regular standard film, and people like freak out. No, we'll take smoking in movies, but no, no nudity. Thank you. So those are our picks of the week. As always, we'll round things out with a Murray moment. But before we go to our first clip from Heather's, and this is probably going to be the toughest movie that we've ever done where I'm trying to find like the perfect clip because uh, there's just so many scenes that I love. Um, could you give us a summary on what Heather's is about? Yes. Yes, I can. So Heather's uh, mainly focuses on uh, Veronica Sawyer, um, who's grown really tired of being a part of the social elite group of popular girls, all named Heather except for her. Uh, she's desperate to find a way to break out of this group, and when she falls for this uh, new kid in school, who also happens to be a psychopath, he helps her figure a way out. Veronica may not have planned on becoming a murderer or assisting in murder, uh, but her boyfriend JD really couldn't care less, which results in this snowball effect of murders that they frame as suicides. It's a supremely dark one, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Thank you. We'll go to the first clip, and then we'll jump right into this discussion on Heather's. Let's do it. You were nothing before you met me. You were playing Barbies with Betty Finn. You were a bluebird. You were a brownie. You're a Girl Scout cookie. I got you into a Remington party. What's my thanks? It's on the hallway carpet. I got paid in puke. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up. Monday morning, your history. I'll tell everyone about tonight. Transfer to Washington. Transfer to Jefferson. No one at Westerberg's gonna let you play their reindeer games. So just to give you a little bit more setup for the movie or how the movie plays out, um, Winona Ryder and Christian Slater, who's her psychopathic boyfriend, um, like I said, they, you know, murder people and then stage it as a suicide. So this happens a couple times that it happens with the main Heather, you know, to kind of free Winona Ryder from, from the group. But um, all this does is kind of make that Heather like puts her on a pedestal and makes her seem deeper than she actually was and and people that hated her and in high school and were tormented by her like oh, I guess she was deeper than I thought man um, and the same thing that happens with you know they they kill these two uh, jock bullies that we see bully you know, kids throughout the throughout the whole movie until they die and then they stage them as a suicide and they stage that as like they were in a gay relationship and, you know, couldn't take the pressures of society. Therefore, they become super deep. And so you see how this is setting up and basically that people are, are, are beginning to think that these people... <laughs> aren't seeing these high school jerks for what they actually were and it's, and it's making them um, deeper people. So just to give you a little bit more setup for what happens in the movie and you can kind of imagine where when you're building on something like that and you have a psychopath for a boyfriend and you're somewhat of an impressionable girlfriend where that could lead you by the end of the movie. So for starters, this is this is just it's dark, dark comedy. And, you know, I, I think like dark comedies can turn people off because they're usually not juxtaposed with like enough relevance, you know, enough like real truth in this movie really, I think as much outrageousness and over the top as the comedy can be the messages and the, the sharp wit that this movie has and the cutting honesty, it, it makes up for it. I think 
the darker you go with comedy, you risk just being a spiteful movie and just kind of like filled with just negativity. And I don't feel like it, I mean, for as many terrible things that happen in Heather's, I've never felt like it's a, a spiteful or I don't know, mean spirited type of movie. There's a plenty of mean spirited people in it, but I feel like, I mean, that's intentional because there's a lot of mean spirited people in high school. And also with that, I mean, aside from it being a movie and obviously not reality, I feel like the high school, high school experience in Heather's is especially for the time very close to to what it was especially showing you know how how kids are bullied and kind of how they're treated and 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 like I said before the inner workings of what people actually think um come out and and maybe that doesn't really happen in real life you know you think these terrible thoughts inside but you don't say them generally um but in Heather's like you like you they come out For instance, one scene in the movie that kind of illustrates this is this is further in the movie where we've had some murders that happen that are posed as suicides and suicide has become uh, the fashionable like thing to kind of rally around. And it's almost like it's kind of being promoted is like because all the popular kids are doing it. Right. So Martha Dump Truck. I feel terrible even saying that, but I mean, like, that's what she's referred to in the movie. But um, she she actually does go to kill herself. And and it's not like a a murder type of thing. She goes to actually kill her kills herself and, and she fails at it. And one of the Heathers comes to who's played by Shannon Doherty um, comes to Veronica, who's played by Winona Ryder and says, oh, my God, did you hear Martha Dumptruck totally tried to buy the farm? Just another case of one of the loser kids trying to imitate the popular ones. And it's like that right there is totally the inner workings of a person like that in high school. It's just like you don't really say that. And I feel like Heather's does an awesome job of of illustrating those feelings um, that happen in your head. But yeah, and I think the the character that you bring up the Martha Dunstock character um, she's sort of utilized like multiple times in this movie I think to show um, how either humane or nasty some of the lead characters can be and I think one of those scenes it's like the first where we kind of see the there's the push and pull of the Veronica's character um, when they're in that cafeteria and they want to the Heathers want to pull the prank on Martha Dunstock with the forging of the note from uh to give to one of the football players, you know, they're like, we need you to fake this note. Yeah. You know, and Martha dump trucks handwriting and Veronica says to Heather, I don't have anything against Martha Dunstock, but she actually says her name. Yeah. But then Heather's like, but you don't have anything for her either. And then yeah. Veronica goes through with it and writes the note, you yeah. know, and she doesn't relish in the, the aftermath of this girl being embarrassed, you yeah. know, but at the same time she goes through with it, you know, but she does have this, they all have this self-awareness. I mean, they all, they all see where they, they are in the pecking order of like high school. And I think that that is something that is realistic and unrealistic with the movie Heathers. Like, I don't know in high school that people are that self-aware of their popularity or, you know what I mean? But this again is like this sort of like stretched out satirical version of it. You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, showing you the extreme version of all these scenarios to get to the truth. And, and, and also talk about things that people don't want to talk about. You yeah. Know, they don't want to, they don't want to get that intense. And there's, there's definitely some scenes in this that, that make me, you know, that are tough to watch. Cause I'm like, God, it was just like that. You know? Yeah. Totally uncomfortable. Um, you know, the, the reason that I always felt that Veronica kind of retained who she was, was to f- for like, she, she retains who, who, you know, who she is as a person, but she's able to be, but she goes along with things. And I feel like that we're introduced to that by seeing her go along with, with, you know, like bullying tactics that the Heathers do to, to other people. And she goes along with it. I feel like that that sets us up for us being able to accept that Veronica's going, uh, going along with her psychotic boyfriend and kind of choosing to ignore the fact that she kind of knows that he's like, looking to murder these people but she's like choosing to kind of ignore it like it's not really happening but she knows full well what's going to happen right so i think it's 
maybe it's a, just a plot motivator, like to keep her character like that. I just appreciate that that she does retain her identity, even if she is impressionable, which is something that does happen in high school too. There's a line that that JD Christian Slater says at the end of the movie that high school is society. And I, when I was rewatching that, I forgot that he said that. And I've always had this notion in my head that high school is kind of like a, a microcosm for society. And just that it, it is the kind of unfiltered, very selfish version of, of adults. It's just pretty much, I don't know. It seems like to me that, for the most part, everyone, everyone, no matter how old you are, is still kind of the same person that you left in high school. You just have life experiences behind you and have the have uh, more of a filter on you. Yeah, I definitely think it's it makes up those formative years where you you know you're learning to uh, interchange and intersect in society and, and sort of developing who you know who you are. Your your personality um, it becomes stronger. Well, let's stop there. We'll go to a clip. We didn't get to get into uh, the things that are frowned upon in this movie uh, today, so we'll get into that, and we'll also talk a little bit about the cast and the writer-director when we come back. Dear Diary, my teen angst bullshit has a body count. The most popular people in school are dead. Everybody's sad, but it's a weird kind of sad. Suicide gave Heather depth, Kurt a soul, Ram a brain. I don't know what it's given me, but I've got no control over myself when I'm with JD. Are we going to prom or to hell? Um, I said this a little bit in the beginning, but um, yeah, I've seen Heather's on several lists of uh, top 10 movies that uh, just don't play well today that... Uh, generally, these are comedies, and um, generally the consensus is, is that um, a lot of elements in the film come off more offensive today than they do funny or entertaining. I've come upon these lists because we screen movies in the backyard every summer, and occasionally I'll look at a title and it's like, hey, can I still show this movie? You know what I mean? It's like, should I show this movie yeah. in the backyard? And then, like, um, you know, there's a lot, tons of lists now, and you, know, you Google it. And usually they're from the 80s and they're just like movies that just don't play well anymore. And some of them I agree, like they just, they don't, you just, they're, there's just no getting around it. But Heather's is one that always makes that list. And there certainly are a lot of things that, that go on in this movie that are definitely problematic. You know, I mean, I think watching it by today's standards, you know, like we've got the fat shaming, homophobia, uh, Sex pressuring, um, eating disorders. Um, With some of these things, I feel like specifically like with um, the Shannon Doherty character who has an eating disorder and they they make fun of her for having bulimia. And then what I think is interesting, though, about that, um, not about the making fun of her with that, is that when Heather number one dies, all of a sudden she's like, I'm cool. I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. It was almost like using, like needing to have control, which is like what an eating disorder is about over something when you, when you have something affecting you that's on the outside. So I feel like that was intentional for the plot, but the, but the fact that they are making fun of her for having an eating disorder sucks. But I, I think that it was intentional. Um, the you know usage of the word fag definitely happens in this movie again i kind of feel like there's a reason for it that they do it that the people that say it are generally you know detestable people one of the heathers says it one time um the two jocks that are then later set up as the um, uh, or, or later murdered by Christian Slater and, and Winona Ryder and then set up as they did this packed suicide where they, you know, were in love with each other and that's why they had to kill kill themselves was society wouldn't accept them. Um, so I think that the, the setup for that is intentional. Um, <laughs> however, when 
the the lead up to that with Christian Slater and Winona Ryder being like plotting this out that they're gonna set them up to look like they're lovers or something the the things that that Christian Slater is you know pulling out of like his bag to like put with them in the woods gay, when gay they're paraphernalia. <laughs> gay paraphernalia when they're supposedly just going to be passed out and not actually dead in the woods. Jo- picture yeah, right. Joan, Joan Crawford. <laughs> picture of Joan Crawford. What was it? An issue of stud puppy. Um, There's something else. And then uh, mineral water because no one in Ohio. I mean, if you drink mineral water in Ohio in 88. <sighs> obviously gay. Obviously. And I, I think though that um the last little nugget with that one when those guys when they're when their funeral's happening it is very distasteful like with christian slater and one other writer that are laughing you know making fun of them that they're dead and the dad of one of those characters says a hilarious i mean i don't know I think it's really funny, but I think it's also terrible, but it's funny because it's a black comedy. I love my dead gay son. <laughs> I love my dead gay son. <laughs> um, Christian Slater's character has a poignant line, though, where he says, I wonder if he love his, would love his uh, limp-wristed son if it had a pulse. And, you know, saying limp-wristed is, like, not cool, but that line is kind of proving that point of... Yeah. Would you actually really? Yeah, it makes me, again, it's like I'm not defending any of the yeah. things in this movie because there there's certain triggers for people for sure. And I, I can see how this movie could come off as offensive for sure. But I do think that there's, like I said, a call and response. You know, like yeah. the movie is self-aware of saying, we're going to show the ugliness of these things that are true, that do happen, that people do say, but then we're going to respond with that with something like you said poignant or cutting and honest you know which I think to me makes this movie again more real and more more of a reason to see it you know what I mean because I do think that there's things that that are addressed in this movie that that other movies just don't even want to mess with anymore yeah I think because it's because these things are so taboo and we've touched on some things that have been said but then the the two issues that I would say are like the more serious issues that this movie really hits on are that of school shootings, teen violence, and probably the biggest one, suicide or teen suicide, and how the movie deals with that. That's probably the hardest thing to watch now is seeing suicide being sort of viewed in such an insensitive way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it really is like the butt of many jokes. And it's, I mean, it's the it's the main theme throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, there's, and it there's, is, there is some commentary on suicide but i do think watching it today that's the hardest thing one of the hardest things to to really digest is like yeah how playful they do the suicide and the scene where like winona rider like fakes her suicide yeah completely and there's even you know a fake band in the movie that's like gaining popularity that has a song called teenage suicide and the way that they talk about it, it's like, I don't know, the guy that is in charge of putting... The staff meetings. Yeah, the staff meetings of the school are completely weird. And like... Yeah, but he's like, what was, you know, we're only going to do a... You <laughs> was know, she let, a cheerleader let, that killed herself? Yeah, I would have taken school off for a half day because there's always if this she thing was a cheerleader. about every time somebody commits suicide or, you know, I mean, the school thinks it's a suicide. Yeah. Um, they like get off school and the kids yeah. are real excited. This movie does hit on something that is, you know, however it it deals with suicide, I feel like the way that it deals with death in high school is pretty interesting and real in some ways in that the staff feels like they don't know how to deal with it. They they either deal with it in an inappropriate way or completely hands off and are just like, I don't know what to do. Everything's wrong. I feel like a lot of other people have had... A similar experience to what happens in Heather's when there is a death in high school that there sometimes I'm gonna, I'm, I don't want to come off like a jerk but I this happens in the movie where someone dies and then everyone's like super sad about it that people that weren't even friends with them people that hated them are somehow affected by it this is something that does happen in high school where it's kind of like going back to that like mob mentality thing that maybe you maybe you're not really affected by that person dying 
but it is kind of like the thing to do at the moment is to be sad, right. quote unquote, um, or to like get out of school to go to the funeral. I feel kind of like a jerk saying that, but I feel like that that's a real thing that happens. Yeah, and it, it is a real thing. And But I think that the suicide portion of the movie plays a little different now than it did in 1988. You know, they're kind of questioning why people are doing it. But I think mm -hmm. in the 80s, and this is the thing in the 80s, like mental illness wasn't taken serious. There wasn't yeah, a lot of discussion about it. There wasn't a lot of education about it. And it's not addressed in this movie whatsoever. I mean, no. they're just, you know, people are like committing suicide and they're just like, oh, they must be doing it. So it's becoming this trend. And mm -hmm. that's the only part of this movie that didn't have the commentary where the other portions of the, you know, these sort of taboo subjects or these subjects that are triggers now. But again, it's still, I think that there's, it showed that the pressures of high school and how the willingness to fit in, you're, you'll do anything to, you know, how, how that can be very isolating and, and, and have a negative effect on your well being. Yeah. But that wasn't, that's the only thing in this movie I think just wasn't really, they just kind of only scratched the surface. And again, like mental illness isn't even really like brought up in the movie or yeah. even suggested by anybody um, that I can remember. I don't think so. Another thing too, that is possibly even more taboo to talk about or uncomfortable than suicide nowadays would be like the fact that you know kids are being shot on school premise you know premises and um a kid has a bomb strapped or is planning to blow up the school um you know these are things that are super relevant and at the time that was something that just that was something that seemed so extreme that I mean, maybe it had happened or something like, but it wasn't as yeah, commonplace. Yeah, it was, definitely as, wasn't common. And in no way, I, I'll speak for you, possibly Justin, on this, but in no way are we saying that movies influence people to do things like that either. Yeah, I certainly feel like movies can be influential, but not uh, are the cause of the violence in America. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our talk about the cast a little bit here. We obviously love Winona Ryder here at don't push pause. Um, one of our first few movies was Reality Bites. Yeah. So for her role in Heather's, uh, from what I understand, uh, she had just come off the success of Beetlejuice and was just getting you know every script under the sun for teenagers. Mm -hmm. And Heather's was the one that called to her and her agent. All these people were telling her not to do this movie. Like this is like too dark. That you just you came off of this big, huge studio movie. Like you don't want to do Heather's. But she said this is. The only movie I want to do right now, when she was starting out in acting, she'd cut her hair really short and tried to go to public school. She was getting homeschooled and then she tried to go back to public public schools. And her first three days there, like the boys were like shoving her against the locker and they thought that she was a boy and it mm -hmm. totally like had this like terrible effect on her. So she dropped back out of school and just did the homeschooling and the tutoring that you do when you're on movie sets. You just have like a on-set tutor there she just said she felt like an outcast like an outsider she just didn't fit in when she tried to go in these high schools and I feel like that very much is like I could see how the script like called to her like her being this person that sort of doesn't have like a specific group that they fit into completely and this being a movie that would be so different than anything else that was being made at the time and I think she does a fantastic performance I I've, I always I, I think Winona Ryder is like great. I mean, she has a way to always play a role where she's on the cusp of being the outsider. Yeah. You know, she can fit in if she wants to, but she she has a sort of like analytical way of mm -hmm. like outsider way of thinking. Yeah. And I, I think that like you can find her very sympathetic, you know, like very approachable. Um, you can you can relate to her even though you know she could fit in with the popular crowd if she wanted to or like the most beautiful people in the world if she wanted yeah. to but she somehow manages to like carry this like little bit of that not fitting in yeah. that she had when she was younger like into each one of her roles and it just yeah. feels very authentic it always I mean she just always f seems so natural to me you know Justin one role that I've always loved her in and it was because I rented it when I worked at a video store and i I don't know if you own it. I feel like you do. Um, but is a, what is it? Uh, Night on Earth? 
Oh, Nine where, on Earth, yeah. Where she's a cab driver. Yeah. It's like an early 90s movie. That is one of my favorite Winona Ryder movies. Or, and I mean, little Winona Ryder as a cab driver, somehow it's completely believable. Just yeah. like New York cigarette smoking little Winona Ryder. Like yeah. it, it, It's a great movie. Oh, that's I, love, for, I that, love that movie. That's yeah. for another podcast. But yeah. anyway... Obviously, we really appreciate her yeah. work. On she here. did a really, there's a real small film that she did. It came out in like the mid 90s called Boys. Yeah. It was like her and uh, yeah. Lucas Haas. That yeah. I thought was like a really great little movie, you know, and she played like more of a, this influence on these younger boys. But anyway. Um, Christian enough. Slater obviously was another standout yeah. um, from Heather's. Yeah, I, I like Christian yeah. Slater. True Romance is one of my favorite movies. I think he has a very small range, but I think that he's great at <laughs> yeah. what he does, you know. Yeah. And I think everybody else fit really well in this movie. I think it's like some good supporting cast, believable characters, you know, and mm-hmm. and even though things are over the top, the characters are over the top in this movie, mm-hmm. there's always that just dash of humanity put in that makes you, yeah. you know, stay on board. Yeah, a lot of people really don't ap- like this movie and I understand and I understand why they don't like this movie one of my favorite roles with Christian Slater because he is such a villain and terrible just a terrible person is the movie very bad things um, I know a lot of people don't like it and it, I you are 1000% warranted in not liking that movie because there are a lot of things wrong with it but um, anyway that's one performance of his though that I appreciate because he's he certainly sucks quite a bit, and he's meant to. I don't know what to do wow. with that. No, that was a lot of dog noise. But a lot of dog uh, noise. sorry, we've got all three dogs here, so yeah. occasionally they're gonna get excited. Yeah. Excited. They're just having a party. It's yep. fine. But uh, but no, yeah, I love Christian Slater in this. I, you know, I think everybody does a great job. Wanted to briefly talk about writer Daniel Waters, mm-hmm. who this is one of the first movies he wrote, and just very clearly out of the gate probably most cutting movies original movies of the 80s and uh after this went on to do quite a few wrote quite a few uh movies that were successes uh Hudson Hawk which Michael Lehman also directed uh so they teamed up again after Heather's I and then that, yeah. um Batman Returns. Uh, Batman Returns, which I think is a really dark, you know, really fit with what Tim Burton started with the first Batman. And yeah, I, uh, I think I'm a bigger fan of Batman Returns than I am. We've talked Batman. about this yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So, I love it too. So you know, you, I think, uh, interesting writer. I have uh, a guilty pleasure vision. of his. He wrote the screenplay for Demolition Man. I don't know. It's an entertainment. With Stallone and uh, <laughs> Stallone, Wesley Snipes. Snipes. S- Wesley Snipes and Sandra Bullock. You know, it's a kind of, it's an action movie, futuristic Early action 90s movie. action. Yeah. Or the, it's kind of funny, yeah. too. It's it's not the most amazing movie in the world, but yeah. it's still, it's a very entertaining movie. I think movie. The, the transition of, what was it, digital green screen effects were still yeah. not quite there yet when they, the first few years of the 90s yeah <laughs> um and michael lehman uh finally um really bold uh confident direction with this movie um i don't think he was too far out of film school mm-hmm. um when he did this and i know uh if i read it right he was tapped to direct ed wood but then yeah eventually got offered hudson hawk and then ed wood I think Tim Burton was just a producer on Ed Wood originally, and then he uh, ended up directing, or Tim Burton ended up directing Ed Wood. But mm-hmm. uh, Michael Lehman also had pretty successful career in directing movies, big budget and small budget movies, which moves this on to our pick of the week. Um, he, he did a movie that I really love too called The Truth About Cats and Dogs. I don't know if I've ever seen it's that. Not, is that what Janine Garofalo? It is, because I love Janine Garofalo quite a bit. Um, again, not the most amazing movie in the world. Problematic in some ways, but still, it's it's a cute movie. God, yeah. I'm such a sucker for like rom-coms, too. It's funny Sorry. How, how much you love rom-coms. Please tell me about your pick of the week. My pick of the week. Directed uh, by Michael Lehman. Directed by Michael Lehman, and one of the few movies that he was a 
co-writer on. Usually he's working from someone else's script. Um, and this was coming right off the heels of Heather's and clearly looked like it was a bigger budgeted movie, but also very dark in tone, um, very much commentary on society and, and where we're at. Um, and also like Heather's, um, was not very successful when it came out, uh, kind of failed at the box office really wasn't, uh, uh, well regarded though. Unlike Heather's, I don't know that a lot of people are still talking about, uh, meet the Apple Gates these days. I do think it has like a very tiny cult following. Um, and I do, I can tell you that if you, do want to seek it out after this pick of the week. You can watch it for free on YouTube. You kind of got to do a little finagling when in, in the search engine there. So Meet the Apple Gates, um, directed by Michael Lehman, co-written, and came out in 1991. Much like Heather's uh, Meet the Apple Gates is an ensemble cast. Uh, we've got uh, Stalker Channing, Ed Beagley Jr., Dabney Coleman. Um, Ed Beagley Jr. and Stalker Channing play a couple they have two kids, but in the beginning of the film, it takes place in Brazil. The Americans are tearing down the rainforest. A group of construction workers are attacked by these bugs. The bugs have a chameleon-like power to take on, uh, resemble humans, and so they go undercover to Ohio to destroy a nuclear power plant so that they can kill the humans off so that bugs can uh, regain power once again. And so it's a, it's a totally ridiculous plot, but... In this ridiculous plot, they do uh, poke fun at a lot of things, mainly middle America, like uh, what what's considered normalcy in uh, suburban America. So the undercover bugs are played by Ed Beagley Jr. and Stalker Channing, and they have two kids, and they move into like the most like suburban area in Ohio, and they Ed Beagley Jr. is working at a power plant, which he plans to destroy the uh, power plant. And their their goal is to like fly under the radar. Uh, eventually, they're uh, helped out by uh, Dabney Coleman, who's dressed in drag, playing Aunt B, and he's there to help assist them because he's he's a little bit more of a harder edged, harder nosed character. So he's he'll he'll push a little bit harder. So he's there to sort of supervise and make sure that they don't their cover isn't blown. So there's several moments in the movie where. Their cover is almost blown like the sun is getting stoned and he turns into a bug. And much like Heather's that deals with dark and uh, sexually aggressive characters, the daughter is almost raped by the neighborhood kid, but she then turns into a bug and ends up killing him to defend herself. So they have these moments where they are trying to hide who they are, but eventually they sort of become uh, comfortable where they're at. They sort of get real in tune to the way suburban life is and kind of forget their mission a little bit along the way. And I think that's where this movie does sort of really show some of the humor. It's definitely not as straightforward funny as Heather's and it's definitely not as uh, cutting edge, but there is, there is a lot there. This is a very unusual film. It's very strange. Uh, the cast is great. Ed Bigley Jr. is just like, this is one of those roles that's just like tailor made for like what he does. And that's just sort of this like, normalcy going on but there's just like this weird layer there that's just like not quite right almost like somebody where you meet somebody and they're so nice you're just like man you're like so nice it's like I feel like we're having such a pleasant time but then I feel like at the end of this night you're just gonna like slit my throat because no one can be this pleasant and he just has that pleasant demeanor and there's a lot of humor in involved in uh, their next door neighbor is a for his profession he is an, a bug exterminator. So he there's a scene where they're all eating at this barbecue and and uh, he has this whistle that only bugs can hear and so he's like blowing it and so as the audience we see them they're trying to play it off like this sound isn't like just totally like blowing out their eardrums. Um, so there's several moments like that in a movie where they're trying to hide who they are and there's a lot of humorous fish out of water moments uh, going on there. The movie does sort of kind of go downhill a little bit. The it They just kind of take this whole plot where they're going to blow up the nuclear power plant too far and eventually it, it ties itself together okay. And overall, it's like it's not a laugh out loud movie, but I think it is off kilter if you're into movies that are a little bit 
out of the ordinary, a little bit subversive, a little bit strange. Um, I definitely think it's up your alley. It's a movie that's never been released on DVD, and it's kind of hard to even find a VHS these days. But like I said, um, you can access it via YouTube for free. And the version that's up on YouTube is not great, but it's still you can tell what's going on and the sound quality is like halfway decent. Sometimes you just got to like take what you can get on those YouTube versions because you want to watch the movie, just deal with the bad audio. It's fine. And I hope, I hope one day that this movie is, uh, you know, gets released in a format that is more accessible to people. Strangely enough, uh, the other day this bar was showing, I mean, this is like so odd. I mean, I, I saw this after I picked Meet the Apple Gates. And I mean, I, this is like a movie I, I've never a heard bar anyone. bar was playing it? I'd never heard anyone talk about Meet the Apple Gates. And this bar down the street from here <laughs> was playing Meet the Apple Gates like the other night for weird. free. Like they were like, come eat dinner and see this weird movie, Meet the Apple Gates. So, I mean, there clearly is pockets of people. I think it has like a mm-hmm. tiny cult following. Um, very, very tiny. But it, it was a movie for me that I saw um, a handful of times. It was just one of those movies that... I remember renting it several times from like the grocery store and like seeing the poster yeah. when it came out. This was like 1991 where I would have just rented anything that came out that was new. I would have rented it. So I, and it was one of those movies that was like just weird enough when you're a kid, you're like, yeah. this is strange. I like it for some reason. <laughs> you know. So it wasn't one that was on TV like all the time, but it was one that was rentable. This was, yeah, this was okay. definitely like, okay. I think a video rental catch okay. on, not like a cable thing. Okay. I'm always curious about that. Yeah, I think that's where it got got its viewership. Yeah, the um, little bit of research that I did on this, it definitely see, seems like there is a cult following for it. Well, what was your uh, pick of the week? I, for- you know, I, I, I didn't forget, but I just for the, our audience viewers, in case they <laughs> forgot. One, I do want to say that I do love me some Stalker Channing and Dabney Coleman and his contributions to movies. Yeah, Dabney Coleman is just... Ed Bigley Jr. is such a weirdo, but I, yeah. I do like him da- in movies. Dabney Coleman's kind of like a loose cannon, and he's yeah. just he's one of those guys like Danny DeVito who's just like really bizarre looking just right away, and then always, you know, is like tapped, like... Into, tapped into some other like <laughs> strange vibe of like characteristics that you that, that somehow match the way that they look. Yeah. he He's always seemed like, to me, like that guy like on a on a school board that's been smoking cigarettes all night during the like the the town hall meeting or something just like a run-of-the-mill dude who's got a lot to say and i i don't know just always (laughs) just always when he talks has just like just like this uh underlying animosity in his voice just always seems very angry he's always got a problem with something anyway um i'm gonna have to watch that one my pick of the week um was society and um, saying that society is a bizarre film um, doesn't really begin to do it justice. It's from the same creative mind and producer that brought us the legendary movie uh, from 1985 called Reanimator. Um, society was Brian Usna's uh, passion project and also directorial debut. To handle society, you really have to abandon all sense of logic and kind of accept extreme paranoia as the norm. The story follows Billy, who's played by the hunky Billy Warlock from Days of Our Lives and Baywatch fame at the time. Um, And Billy begins to uncover how he doesn't fit into his upper crust, white bread, elitist family or the, you know, quote unquote society with whom they associate. So... Cults really bother me. It's always been something that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, mob mentality things make me uncomfortable because how are you supposed to face down a, a you know a group of people who are so impassioned with a seriously distorted sense of reality? It's it bothers me. Um, and the society in the movie society is you guessed it a secret cult society. Well, the weirdness just keeps unfolding with this movie, like. Why are people coughing up hairballs? What exactly is shunting? Why does everyone keep telling Billy he's going to make a great contribution to society? And Billy's parents, are they having sex with his sister? I don't know. What's going on? Can Billy's sister contort her body? Why does one character say to him, How do you like your tea? Cream? Sugar? Or would you like me to pee in it? 
there are just so many bizarre moments that happen before the monumental, very well talked about final act of the film. It's really hard to know where to start with this movie. So what is it? What's the mystery? What's the big bad in this movie? Well, the upper echelon Los Angeles community is quite literally sucking the lifeblood out of the lower class. And not only that, but they have the ability to melt down into one giant orgy of a person blob. I don't know how else to say it. Um, who seem who seem to be getting some type of sexual gratification out of it, as well as maybe ingesting each other and taking on physical characteristics or have the capability to take on physical characteristics of someone that they ingest or absorb. Maybe that's better. Um, maybe that it's more of an absorption thing. Anyway, the last 30 minutes of this movie is truly astonishing for its originality, creativity, and that there's no blood in any of these sequences. And this is kind of, this was done in order to get around uh, ratings because it was the way the, the ending of this movie, had there been blood involved, it would have, it would have been, it would have been bad. I could see this movie never getting put out by anything, but by having the absence of blood and having it just like really weird and grotesque in the way that it is, I can see how it's skated by. It's not about gore. It's really just an amazing kind of surrealist, dreamlike quality um, display of practical effects. And don't worry, Billy makes it out alive and his exit is nothing short of jaw-dropping and kind of really hilarious too. Brian Usna has said, and, and it is really obvious that this film is inspired by Rosemary's Baby. I feel like this movie is the same caliber of, you know, a horror movie as Rosemary's Baby. It's more of a mystery that leads you to this incredibly disturbing conclusion. And Society and Rosemary's Baby both confirm your paranoia. But then again, is it like really paranoia if these fears are actually out to get you? The obvious subtext of Society is about the wealthy profiting off the poor. And in the mid to late 80s, when this movie was being conceived, being super wealthy um, was a popular idea, although it was very unachievable. Some would even say that this was when the middle and lower class like really started getting buried in America, and it was really the the rich only seemed to be getting richer, um, lending to the inequality of wealth, which is still very true today. And to quote society, the rich have always sucked off the low class scum like you. It's just one of the most obvious indications of this uh of this Brian Usna movie. Another thing to point out is the is the difference of acting that, that kind of happens in the movie with Billy. Like Billy's on point. Like he's a solid, believable, legit actor. But the rest of the cast seems really over over the top and almost kind of unbelievable. But I think that this is intentional and that the point is for them to seem disingenuine because they're covering for their weird orgy cult, right? So it sets you up to to make you feel uh, like you completely believe Billy and that everyone is acting like a weirdo. So we know Billy is not hallucinating when he sees, is his sister contorting herself in the shower? He can't really tell. We know something's up even before these weird visuals like this begin. Um, and I mean, how else are you supposed to care about the lead if you if you don't believe him? So, okay, I know I need to wrap this up. Um, but I could rewatch society over and over. It's really fun to look for any weird things that, um, you know, you've previously missed upon first viewing because it's a lot to take in sometimes. And I really suggest you listen to the dialogue because sometimes you're just like, wait, what did, what did they, what, what was just said? That was weird. Um, and if you're an Amazon prime member, it's available right now for free for you. So that's a little perk. Um, otherwise, find a way to seek it out. I guarantee that it's one that you're never, ever going to forget. Just ask the myriad of people I've made watch it over the years, like you, Justin. Yeah, it's, I was uh, curious how you were going to pull off describing this movie, but I thought you did a pretty outstanding <laughs> job. I don't even know where to really, start. It's one that's really hard to kind of like, it's almost you just got to see it. It's hard to explain what it is. Because it, it gets lumped in as a horror movie, but I don't ever, I don't think of it as a horror movie. I think of it like, like Rosemary's Baby in the same way. It's just like, 
it's a mystery even though something like totally weird and grotesque is happening. I, I definitely I place it in that sort of subgenre of like Cronenbergian like yeah. body horror type thing. Yeah, kind yeah of, that's right. You know, everything's sort of like offset a little bit and mm-hmm. sort of like seems like half fantasy, half reality, mm-hmm. but there's always some sort of body horror going on. And uh there's yeah. certainly just, some just body the, horror. Just the word <laughs> shunting, you know what I mean? It's just like get ready for the shunt. Oh, you don't even know what shunting is. Yeah. You just go ahead and Google shunting just, right just now. Just Google Image Society, <laughs> and usually the first image that pops up, you'll just be like, all right, I definitely do or don't want to watch this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so those are our picks of the week. Meet the Applegates and Society, probably the two strangest picks of the week we've ever had. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, both dealing with strange family matters. Stemming off of Heather's. Yeah. Well, you never know. We don't know where it's going to take us. You know, Veronica Sawyer has a weird family, too, so yeah. from Heather's. Well, it just makes me curious how weird uh, this next uh, segment might be. This is your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even show. Hey, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. Justin, I wish I could have brought more weirdness to this one, um, but uh, I kind of went a more serious route with this. <gasps> um, all right, so take the comedy and sarcasm out of Heather's, and you have an even more immensely disturbing movie than it already is. Unfortunately, a lot of aspects of Heather's have come true in the 30 years after the film on a grander scale even and definitely minus the comedy how to stop violence in schools and the debate over gun control are still raging while it seems like both problems have just gotten worse and worse i don't mean to go completely dark here and when we decided to do heathers it reminded me of this rare murray moment that happened uh in early 2018 about a month after the shooting at stoneman douglas high school in parkland florida Billy wrote an op-ed piece for NBC, which isn't something he's really known to do, especially taking any type of political stance. And if he ever does make some type of political statement on an issue or or say something relating to an issue, it's done in an intelligently covert way as to make a point or to provoke thought. The Stoneman Douglas shooting made him reflect on living through the Vietnam War and what caused the war to finally end and that it was the loud, angry voices of students that made a difference. Here's a little excerpt from what he wrote. You've got to surround a deeply political issue like gun control or a war to come at it from every single direction. You can't just focus on one thing or aim for just one goal. Ending the Vietnam War was not a simple thing either. You had to make sure all our people were safe, as safe as they could be. And maybe you might remember people even thought it was going to be the end of the world if we lost Vietnam, but that war had to stop. It's the right idea for a human being to live in peace and a peaceful nature is the proper thing. For children to be concerned about going to school, worried about what could happen at them at school, that makes for a horrible moment. It's just a horrible place for us to be at. Now, Billy's not alone on these issues, and regardless of your feelings on gun control, I think we can probably all agree that going to school, being worried about violence of of any kind, um, is not where we want to be as a society. Billy ended his piece with an idea I hadn't really thought of, but I'd expect is obvious to someone who has more years than I behind them. He wrote, The thing that's so powerful about students is that when you haven't had your idealism broken yet, you're able to speak from a place that has no confusion, where there's a clear set of values. But there are idealists out there left over the age of 18, I'm sure of it. Idealism is a voice that's inside of you. It's your conscience. That can really deteriorate along the way, depending on the road you follow. And it can be 
almost dysfunctional, but it's there. Everyone has it. Sometimes it's just a whisper, but in some people it's a shout. It's an inspirational way to end the likening of two terribly complicated and bloody situations. Now, I know that I got dark for this Murray moment, but it's real and totally inspired by Heather's. And since the man who hardly ever has anything to say that, you know, from a political stance, I felt the need to kind of share it this time. I know it's like not the fun, you know, most fun thing, but it's something that totally is relevant in today's society. And I think it's pretty cool. He thought enough to put his thoughts out there. No, that I didn't know that. And that's, no, I think that's super relevant and super interesting, especially the part about the being young and still having idealism. Cause yeah. I, I do think that there is a feeling of getting older and sort of getting older and being futile about things because yeah. it's easier to just say, well, that's just the way things are and be comforted in that being like that raw nerve about the way things really are and how much yeah. it, it, can, it can drive you crazy. So it's easier to say that's the way things are and then kind of put it out of your mind. Yeah. Um, but I think young people have that advantage to where they're not living comfortably yet so they can <laughs> they can be that raw nerve 24-7 and not go crazy. Yeah. It's a whole different time we live in. It's harder to go work a job 40 hours a week when you're thinking those thoughts. <laughs> yeah. If, if you want to get really dark. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Well, thank you, as always, for your Murray moment. Of course. Do you have any final thoughts on Heather's? I think the only last thing I wanted to say was that, sadly, uh, like many movies that we've talked about, the bros in this in this movie, <laughs> you could have them say the exact same dialogue and basically dress and act yeah. the exact same way that they do in this movie and put it in a modern movie, and it would play exactly the same. Because same dudes. They just they never change. They never learn. Because is high school a microcosm for society? It is. Because we're all the same, and it we is. really just don't change. Until you break the chain, and and bros, they got they got a strong, strong will. That yeah. they, they they don't want but that chain to break. The chain will keep us together, Justin. Yeah. According. You're getting deep. Dropping some Mac. podcast philosophy. <laughs> some Fleetwood Mac. Oh, man. So we really want you to watch this movie about some Swatch Dogs and Diet Coke heads. The upchuck factor is low, depending on how you feel about some really off-color humor. What's my final thought? I'm trying to throw in as many quotes as I can remember right now. What's your damage, Lindsay? Just say <laughs> what your final thought is. Man, you know, there's one there's one quote, and I feel bad that I agree with it, but it's so bad to agree with. But the the psychopath Christian, uh, Christian Slater character says about the two guys that they that they murdered and then they posed as like that they were forbidden gay lovers and Winona writers like having reservations about what they did he says the only thing that Kurt and Ram had to offer the school was date rape and AIDS jokes and every time when that line comes up I'm like well he's not wrong but yes it's still not appropriate that you murdered them yeah but it's like things like that that um that stand out in the movie where just these like little pokes at how we really feel inside, but we, the, this movie just says the things that we don't. Yeah. I definitely think as psychotic as his character is, it's sort of the, the end all point of, of his relentless, um, non-filtered way of speaking. Um, I've got one final thing here. I'll, I'll end on this. The last time I watched one is like a week ago. Yeah. And I don't think this scene ever played is wonderful to me and, and, and charming and, and sort of beautiful as it mm-hmm. ever had before. And that's at the very end, the credits are starting the roll and Veronica, right before the credits roll, Veronica asks Martha Dunstock, who's in a wheelchair from her failed suicide attempt. And she says, do you want to rent some videos, you know, and hang out tonight? And she's like, I'd really like that. And so they're moving away from the camera and the credits start the roll and Martha Dunstock in a wheelchair kind of buzzes around Veronica, like in her wheelchair. And it just is very, 
you know, wonderful thing. Like she's so giddy and excited that she they're like going to be hanging out tonight. nudges her a little bit. Yeah. And it's it, like, yeah. you see this like sort of like moment of hope, like, you know, the school didn't blow up and Veronica saved the day, but it is, it's a very, it's a very subtle thing that I didn't pick up on before, but I think it's like a fantastic way to end the movie. It really is. I, I, I forgot about that. And same thing. I was emotionally affected by that moment. It was like, okay, we're wiser and we're doing the right thing. Yeah. So that wraps up uh, Heather's for you. Um, next episode, we're going to keep this sort of like teen rebel train going. Yeah. We're going to go a little bit further back into the 80s with 1985's The Legend of Billie Jean. Uh, this is one we've wanted to do for a while. Yeah. Um, we actually like kind of like reached out on Instagram to see if anybody knew Oh, it was a while back, yeah. yeah. It was a while back, but like, what the hell? This, if anyone knew what this movie was, and yeah. it was like one of our biggest responses. So, uh, there's definitely an audience for this movie. I didn't realize it. It had kind of grown into the cult film that it has. But uh, we we kind of excited to talk about this one, and we thought it'd be a nice pairing, sort of back to back with Heather's. Man, I love. I just was listening to Pat Benatar's Invincible last night, and thinking about Billie Jean. But uh, so that's coming up for you, Legend of Billy Jean. If you want to reach us on social media, don't push pause podcast on Instagram and Facebook, or you can find us on our website at don'tpushpausepodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks so much for listening.